You are listening to Mining Stock Education, where you'll learn from the top leaders in the natural resource sector and uncover quality mining investment opportunities. Thanks for tuning in to Mining Stock Education. I'm your host, Bill Powers, and today's episode will be unique, hopefully for several reasons, but for sure for at least one reason, and that Bill Powers, the host of Mining Stock Education, will be interviewing a guest that also goes by the name Bill Powers. I'm speaking to Bill Powers, who is a private investor and independent analyst. He's the former editor of the Powers Energy Investor the Canadian Energy Viewpoint, and the U.S. Energy Investor. Bill has published investment research on the oil and gas industry since 2002. His website is bill-powers.com, and you can also follow him on Twitter, which I would encourage you to do by going to the handle at BillPowers1970 on Twitter, at BillPowers1970 on Twitter. So, Bill, uh, welcome to Mining Stock Education, and uh, let me just start it off with asking you, how does it feel to be interviewed by somebody with your name? <laughs> it's, it's great to be here, and... Um... Uh, certainly looking forward to um, our discussion today. Yes, and I should say that over the years when I've sometimes requested uh, interviews with certain guests, then they they bring up, hey, Bill, it's it's good to hear uh, from you, and what's your views on the oil markets? And then I would politely write back and said, I'm, I'm a different Bill Powers, uh, and this is my show. Let's start off with your overall macro perspective on the oil markets. You're an energy analyst. What, break it down from a 30,000-foot level. Uh, what should we be looking at and understanding in the oil market today? Well, really, we're in an unprecedented time, and, and I know that is an overused cliche, but um, we've never seen the rig count decline in the United States um, at the rate it has over the last three months. We've never seen production f- uh, for uh, U.S. oil fall at the rate it's been falling, and uh, or um, oil trade um uh, the way it has been at an at an you know, up to negative thirty something dollars at one point, um, and uh, storage is certainly at a at a at a high level. But the production has gone from over thirteen million barrels to about eleven and a half in the United States. A lot of that has been a decline from uh, numerous shale fields um, around the United States, and uh, that looks to continue. Um, over the rest of the summer, and uh, prices have certainly rebounded and uh, are um, looking to be quite volatile. But uh, uh, it looks like uh, um, supply destruction is certainly, uh, we're seeing a lot of it right now. Crude, as we speak, is at about $34 per barrel. Is there any hope for the U.S. and Canadian shale market, uh, which produces oil above that cost? Well, I think there certainly is. Um, We've seen the rate at which production is going down from the shut-ins, from the lack of drilling. I mean, remember, I mean, a lot of these shale fields um, are declining at a natural rate of over 40%. So just the lack of drilling will rebalance the market within you know, six to nine months. And that could be above the cost of production. I also think that uh, companies will be very, very slow to ramp up activity at irrespective of, of where prices go, at least for the rest of this year. So I, I think the the discipline that has been sorely lacking for much of the last 15 years in the North American oil market is, um, is starting to emerge, and I think it's going to create a healthier industry um, with uh, players who are not uh, so indebted that uh, it, it seems as though they can't make money at any price. 
and uh, and you know uh, the there's the market will certainly rebalance itself like it always has. On the demand side for oil, that's of course going to be determined by what this economic recovery in the states where you and I reside, but also around the world, what that looks like. Do you have any thoughts to share on the demand side for oil? Well, it's certainly rebounding. I'm just from, um, I live um, outside of Chicago, and we are certainly seeing traffic pick up, uh, more flights coming in and out of O'Hare. Um, so there is a, a stimulus that is happening. It's going to happen uh, from on the fiscal side uh, throughout the United States. Uh, so I do think we are going to see a rebound in demand as well as uh, a real structural changing of the U.S. economy that will um, bring uh, the acceler- will accelerate manufacturing returning to our shores. Um, and that will certainly be good for demand. And uh, I think it's something where there's a, a lot of political will to um, uh, increase our industrial activity. A previous guest on this show is Steve St. Angelo from srsrockoreport.com. And Steve has shared his uh, thesis, his theory about energy returned on energy invested. And that when it comes to oil, it's taking the industry more energy inputted in order to pull a barrel of oil out of the ground. Uh, Do you have any thoughts on Steve's theory? Are you in agreement with it? Or what points of disagreement would you have? Well, he's certainly um, correct in in that sense that the the cost of production um, and the cost, the amount of energy that goes into the ground to produce a barrel oil is certainly rising and it's it's going to continue to rise. Um, We we have seen a number of U.S. uh, shale oil fields already have their best locations drilled um, and are already into decline. Um, and that's something that is, uh, to drill the remaining, the remaining locations, they're not going to be as prolific. And uh, the, the costs are certainly going to go up. And, and this is true around the world, whether it's offshore, uh, Gulf of Mexico, um, Brazil, uh, Russia, pretty much everywhere, um, the costs are going to go up. And uh, and they'll they'll be at different levels in different areas of the world, but uh, certainly um, it's it's going to become more and more expensive to extract oil. What's your thoughts on the peak oil theory? Well, we certainly are seeing uh, with the U.S. Uh, you know production is down, and that is is only a recent uh, event. But uh, it looks like with the level of spending we're seeing right now. Around the world, uh, we're going to see production decline probably the rest of this year, and we will need, and it will continue to decline until uh, you know prices get high enough and activity picks up. But uh, you know, more importantly, you know, the uh, the number of locations that are remaining in the United States that are prospective, um, that will be economic at today's levels, is very, very few. So prices will have to go up significantly. Um, for activity to, re- to rebound. And that also is something we're seeing, you know, whether we have peak oil now or whether it's down the road some. But uh, we're going to see the peak in a lot of things. And one of the things we're certainly seeing um, is peak gold. Uh, gold is, uh, we've had seven uh, consecutive quarters of declining gold production, according to the World Gold Council. And uh, this is something that uh, where you know the, the reserves are being produced and they're just not being found. And it's the same thing we're seeing in oil, where the U, the world produces around 30 billion barrels a year and uh, doesn't find anywhere close to that. So 
um, whether it's this year, next year, um, you know, it's just doing the math that the, uh, the peak is, is coming. Don't you think the free market and human ingenuity, though, could solve that to where, yes, the gold price would go up or the price of oil would go up, and that would also incentivize new ways to find and uh, recover out of the ground uh, these resources? Well, to a certain degree, there will be some incremental um, innovation that will maybe make extraction a little bit cheaper. But um, the rate of the rate of finding the new discoveries is really what we have to look at. And um, whether it's gold, whether it's oil, or or many other minerals, uh, the the rate at which we're finding it is it has been dropping for uh, for 10, 15 years in, in in some cases, and this really leads to the to you know, the fact that um, there is a limited um, a rate at which it will come out of the ground, and um, there's a good chance we're near or at or or past that uh, that peak already. Trilogy Metals is a world-class developer in Alaska's Ambler Mining District. The company already possesses 8 billion pounds of high-grade copper, 3 billion pounds of zinc, over 1 million gold-equivalent ounces, and over 77 million pounds of cobalt. Trilogy's Arctic project boasts an after-tax net present value of $1.4 billion, with a 33% internal rate of return. Trilogy is led by an experienced management team with proven success in discovering and developing projects in Alaska. The company is well-capitalized, has no debt, and possesses strong institutional support. Trilogy trades in New York and Toronto under the ticker TMQ. To learn more, go to TrilogyMetals.com. That's TrilogyMetals.com. How does the U.S. dollar relate, in your view, with uh, oil recovering, gold has been on a tear? Uh, how does the U.S. dollar come into play? Well, I'm a um, very bearish on the U.S. dollar. Um, I believe that uh, you know, while the U.S. has helped its trade deficit in recent years uh, through the increase of um, domestic energy production, um, it, it is it is um, we have not seen the dollar break out uh, much past uh, 101, despite seeing a 34 uh, percent decline in uh, U.S. equities in the first quarter. Um, we've seen a um, a basically a flat trading range for the last few years. Uh, almost five years now, and uh, we've seen foreigners really sell uh, U.S. treasuries, uh, U.S. stocks, corporate bonds, real estate. There is massive selling uh, by foreigners of the U.S. dollar. So while – and there's a lot of uh, government bonds, U.S. government bonds um, being issued that are – that seems to be overwhelming demand. So – I'm not uh, bullish on the U.S. dollar. I think it can go a lot lower, and this is uh, you know, very, very bullish for um, oil and um, pretty much every other commodity. We may see inflation, but one argument would be we're not going to see hyperinflation in the States until other nations no longer use the U.S. dollar as their um, reserve currency or need it to buy oil. Uh, what would you, how do you engage that thought? Well, I certainly think the, the, the appetite for uh, U.S. involvement in overseas wars is certainly waned in the last decade. Um, and the other countries are also seeing, such as Russia, is now made it very clear that they are looking to alternatives for the dollar. And uh, certainly China is also. So I think an alternative um, or at least less reliance on the dollar, you're seeing many countries uh, ramp up their reserves of gold um, in their central banks. 
And I, whether hyperinflation, I can certainly see it. One of the things that I would encourage everybody to do um, would be to uh, read about the interwar period in Germany. Um, that is a fascinating uh, period of when um, both Germany and Austria went into a hyperinflation and what it did to society. We see much of that happening right now. So it is a confidence game, and uh, the U.S. is uh, certainly has had a has abused uh, the trust that other countries have put into it, um, really since uh, 1971 when it closed the gold window. So uh, whether it's hyperinflation or a very high rate of inflation or whether it's stagflation, um, those are all uh, very likely scenarios, and so. Uh, inflation is, is going to pick up and it's going to be uh, what many would call not the good kind of inflation. You also, as an energy analyst, focus on LNG, uh, liquefied natural gas. I have a chart before me I just pulled up and looks like for about the last two years almost, there's been a steady downward trend. Uh, what should investors know about this sector right now? There's really a, a lot that's um, happening in, in the LNG market. Um, there's some countries that are um, uh, seeing declining uh, production of or, or exports of LNG, such as Oman and some other countries in the Middle East. Um, but for the United States, it's a, it's a, it's a, a, um, LNG is a, a very controversial subject. Um, as you probably know, for um, a long time, the U.S. was a net importer of LNG. And um, in 2012, I published a book um, called Cold, Hungry, and in the Dark that really challenged a lot of the assumptions about um, how much shale gas there was in the United States. And the projections of U.S. total reserves that were made by academia, uh, the industry, as well as the U.S. government have proven to be very, very wrong. Um, where, however, where um, what we have seen is a flood of gas produced uh, from the sh different shale basins, especially the Marcellus. And most of these wells have been uneconomic. So while the U.S. has become an exporter of LNG, I don't expect that to to last, uh, you know, for too many more years. Simply because um, the U.S. Uh, shale gas reserves are are grossly overstated, and there is uh, increasing domestic demand uh, for natural gas, and um, the overseas markets are are very weak right now. So. I um, think it's a it's a very difficult subject to wrap your hands around your arms around because there's a lot of what I would say disinformation about um, the U.S. long-term potential to export natural gas. Under President Trump's America First policy, the U.S. Department of Energy has been looking at uh, natural resources and critical metals and assessing whether we are reliant on potentially hostile nations for the functioning of our nation and. Uh, how does liquefied natural gas and oil come to play? President Trump announced that he bought, when the oil price went down, he bought a lot of uh, oil, crude oil, for the nation's reserves. But uh, as a fellow U.S. citizen, what are your thoughts here? Well, I, th I think that is more of a um, an effort to manipulate markets than it is to really change um, uh, much of anything. And, I, and part of it, um, I think, was it was really a, a, a bailout for the, you know, for much of the energy industry in the sense that there wasn't a there wasn't much storage available, so they um, they they bought it and kind of left it in the ground for for the most part. Um, but really, the U.S. has used 
um, both under Trump and Obama, um, the threat of of you know, diminishing Russia's importance on the world stage through the export of LNG to Europe. And that is something that is um, really hard to understand since uh, Germany and pretty much every other European country is very reliant on um, exports or imports from Russia. And, uh, you know, Germany has only, uh, you know, uh, one LNG import facility. Uh, so the, the the practicality of of you know a great deal of exports going to um, Europe is 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 quite small, and uh, they've had a, a long term relationship with um, both the so or in Soviet age um, times there were uh, West Germany imported a lot of gas from Russia, and um, much of Europe is becoming increasingly dependent on on Russia. So. Um, I think politically, it's you know it's it's very difficult, and even still, even on, um, when the U.S. was at its peak of you know oil production, we weren't much of an exporter of of oil. We consume 18 million barrels a day, approximately, and produced a, around 13 million. So, um, you know, while some blends of crude there wasn't much demand for, and we were able to send overseas, or certain uh, products we were certain able to send overseas. Um, we weren't really able to impact the the world oil market uh, to any meaningful degree, and I, I think our our importance as a as an energy exporter is going to go down in the future. Are you bullish on uranium? Uranium's perked up a little this year. It's at thirty four dollars per pound. What are your thoughts about uranium? Well, I certainly think that the uranium uh, is has has a very bright future. Um, and uh, according to the U.S. Department of Energy, last year. Um, the U.S. produced more nuclear, uh, more kilowatts from its nuclear plants than any other year um, in history. So it is certainly something that uh, the U.S. government has made a commitment to in, in helping restart uh, uranium production in the United States. Um, I do think that uh, uranium is going to be a uh, is in a is breaking out into a bull market. I, I don't know. Uh, there's many other people who are uh, who follow it more closely than I do, but demand is growing. You've seen some significant market discipline from the um, Kazakhstan uh, producers as well as uh, Kamiko. So this is really what you want to see in, in any resource market is uh, the most important players cutting back production, um, acting as good stewards of um, their for their shareholders and and not overproducing and or driving the the uh, the price down further and um, increasing demand from you know both the United States as well as um, overseas countries where um, China and India and and uh, other countries are having plants that are coming online and so I, I do think that uh, we will see a renaissance in the nuclear energy industry and uh, I think it'd be a a very meaningful one. Bill, you're an energy expert, but you're also a private investor and a contrarian. So for the investors listening to us, uh, in light of what we've talked about thus far, are there any investing ideas that you could share with us? Certainly. Um, two that I have uh, really fallen out of favor, um, if we look at uh, Peto Energy in, 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 in Canada, and it's a natural gas producer in the Sundance uh, area. Um, and it's uh, really has been a uh, a company that is Canada's lowest cost producer of natural gas. It's had a um, a 20 year history, um, very strong management. Uh, it's been through ups and downs, 
and uh, the stock is you know, in the two dollars fifty cent range. And um, this is a well over ninety percent off of its high, and uh, a really sound fundamental business. Uh, the other one for um, really contrarian investors uh, that can see a. Um, a meaningful that would like a little a little bigger company and a, you know, very strong management where the an executive chairman of Murray Edwards is uh, Canadian Natural Resources. This is a company that you know is a, the largest producer of natural gas in Canada, um, has oil sands and um, is really a, a business that has made it through the other side of of, uh, of a really horrific period in um, in uh, Canadian energy history. I follow neither of those companies. So would the primary catalyst for a rising share price for those potential investments be a rising natural gas price? Or is there something internal within the company that could catalyze the share price? Really, it's, it's going to be, I mean, these, these companies, along with um, pretty much most of everybody else, the energy patch is going to need higher prices. Um, so it's a call but, option on LNG, essentially, or, or actually more on um, uh, oil and gas production is really what um, where is where this is a call option on, and, and it's kind of like when you coming out of you know for your, uh, you know in the precious metals industry, um, the companies that have um, you know the the big companies that were able to make it to make it through the bear market. Um, have rebounded first, and I think these will be two of the first companies to rebound materially um, once we start to see higher prices and uh, in, in interest in the industry. You also invest in gold, Bill. So how are you navigating the gold sector? We focus a lot on that in this show. Yes, I, I certainly um, have been a, a longtime investor um, in both bullion and in, and in um, uh, mining companies. A uh, big fan of of silver at this time, and I'm uh, been a long time investor in um, three companies that uh, I could share with you today. Um, Please do. Uh, um, Pan American Silver, obviously, um, Raw Speedy, I think, has done a great job um, with um, building the company. Huge reserves per share. A couple catalysts um, that I think will really make. Um, uh, the that have uh, that will really increase shareholder value over the next few years, um, especially a rising silver price. But uh, absolute top-notch uh, management team and uh, excellent cash flow, in, even in um, a diff in a low silver price environment. The other one has has been a more of a struggle. Um, my second idea has been more of a struggle, but uh, I think we're seeing some some turnaround, and that's uh, McEwen Mining. Um, Rob McEwen, as most of your listeners probably know, was um, involved in Guild Corp and uh, seeing that work out. I've um, been investing in uh, McEwen Mining since uh, Monera Andes, and uh, so I've been involved for a long time um, and seen it go up and down. Um, but uh, you know, just recently it was announced that uh, Rob bought two million shares in the open market, which is about half of 1% of the outstanding shares of the company. He's, um, they have uh, some interesting uh, projects in uh, Canada, Mexico, the United States, and Argentina. And uh, I think that it's been, a, they've had a very difficult go of it recently, but uh, things seem to be moving in the right direction. And uh, especially at today's prices, 
I think it'll um, have the wind at its back. And Bill, a question on that. Are, is that essentially for you, you know how we talk about you're betting on the horse, the project or the properties, or you're betting on the jockey. For you, would this be betting on the jockey? This is absolutely betting on the jockey. Um, I've been, I own the, I own the, um, a company that was acquired um, by um, U.S. Gold when uh, before it became McEwen Mining. And uh, I've, you know, I've talked with Rob at numerous times, one on one. I've I've met him at a at a conference a couple times, and uh, always one of the straightest shooters you're ever going to find. Um, I'm a real big big believer in um, in getting rid of the agency problem, which is something we see in resource companies all the time, where the management has a different agenda than the outside shareholders. Um, Rob does not take a salary. He is a excellent um, uh, steward of his own uh, of his own uh, company. And even though they've had some missteps, I think he is uh, only going to make money if shareholders make money. And that's something that I really, really like to see. And that's why I've st- stuck with it. And uh, I think it's it's going to have a a great rest of the year and uh, and uh, going forward some very exciting projects. And the third idea is something that um, here again, this is a, uh, a betting on the jockey and it's a company called Chesapeake Gold. Um, it's a company run by a gentleman um, named Randy Rifle, who was in, who was a who was on the board at Gold Corp. Still, he uh, made the Penasquito dis- discovery in Mexico and uh, has discovered a very large deposit of silver and zinc in Mexico, called the Matats Project. And uh, this is recently there was a large funding done through Eric Sprott to um, help them buy out. The company, um, there was a net smelter uh, royalty on on their project that they were able to buy back from Silver Wheaton, I believe, or or I think it's now called Wheaton Metals. And uh, the other, um, one of the founders of the company is a very interesting story is a gentleman by the name of Peter Palmetto of um, Sun Valley Gold. And uh, Peter was a uh, was gotten involved in some early stage companies. And uh, he was a he made a lot of money in the 1987 crash um, through put options and uh, retired to Sun Valley, Idaho, and uh, started a numerous gold companies. And this is uh, one of the ones he backed. Um, Randy Rifle, who is the largest shareholder um, of Chesapeake Gold, or I think he's now he's now one of the top. A few behind Eric Sprott, and uh, this is a huge deposit, and um, it's one that is near infrastructure, and I think it has a uh, the company has a very bright future, and it's under the radar screen of pretty much everybody. I met with Randy at the 2018 Beaver Creek Precious Metals Summit, and I remember at that time that he said they were waiting on higher gold prices, so they have gotten higher gold prices probably by about $500 an ounce since I last chatted and really took a look at the company. But in your portfolio and your investment thesis, you mentioned it was a bet on management, but would it also be essentially a call option on the price of gold? Because these big projects, they don't move forward unless it's in a good gold bull market. And that's that's absolutely correct. Um, and this is, uh, Matats is certainly a project that is, uh, will be wildly profitable at higher silver prices. And it's, you know, um, it, it is a meaningful project that will get looked at by uh, you know, companies like Tech and Valet and really large companies that will um, where it can move the needle for them. And this is and so these are so you've seen um, a number of companies where 
Um, you know, they've had good drill results and this is, you know, they've also worked on a number of satellite projects that I think are very exciting. And there's a lot of upside for the shareholders. They're uh, very well capitalized. Uh, they did not need to raise money during the, the downturn at uh, unfavorable prices. And uh, you see, uh, you know, management is certainly aligned with shareholders on this one. And uh, it's great to see Eric Sprott um, get involved to the degree he did. And uh, I think this is one that will gain a lot of attention um, over the, as the M&A uh, wave starts to pick up. And uh, a very exciting story there. The best way to follow Bill online is to follow him on Twitter. And his handle again is Bill Powers 1970. Bill Powers 1970. If you're not on Twitter, you can also look Bill up at his website, Bill hyphen or dash powers.com. Bill, I really appreciate you coming on the show today and sharing your insights. Thanks for joining me today. It was great being here. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to Mining Stock Education. Please subscribe and share this show with like-minded investors. Connect with us at miningstockeducation.com and sign up for our email list to stay in touch. Much success to you as you learn about, invest in, and profit from mining stocks. The mining business is one that generates gigantic wealth. You know, a good drill hole that converts might cost fifty or $100,000, and it might discover something worth a couple billion. There is no sector that I know of that has offered up as many predictable circumstances uh, where there was the possibility, certainly not the certainty, but the possibility of 10 for 1 returns as there is in small cap and micro cap mining stocks. Concomitant with that, if you don't do the work, or even if you do do the work and don't discipline yourself on the sell side, there are very few places in the world where you can lose as much money as quickly as in mining stocks too. I just started to study up on mining stocks and I just became fascinated because this is such a tiny sector and it's so volatile that either you could really, you could do really, really well or you could pretty much get blown out of the water really quickly. The mining sector is a very risky sector. It can take your money very, very quickly. Don't fall in love with stocks. Don't be overly confident and just do your work as best you can. Do your very best, but don't fall in love and don't get too overly confident because um, that's a recipe for disaster. I have met you know, professional retail investors that have made a tremendous amount of money on the junior mining space. Some of them aren't accredited, and they just they spend their days researching, talking to people, being on the phone, being pouring through financial documents, but it requires commitment. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be considered personal legal or investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or any other product. We make every effort to be accurate, but the information presented is not to be considered infallible. It may contain errors and we offer no inferred or explicit warranty. If personal advice is needed, consult a qualified legal, tax, or investment professional. Do not base any investment decision on the information contained on MiningStockEducation.com, our podcasts, or videos. Make sure you always conduct your own thorough due diligence before investing. Realize that we may hold equity positions in or be compensated by some of the companies we feature and therefore are biased and hold an obvious conflict of interest. For our full disclaimer, please visit our website.